0: Bread of heaven, feed us until we want no more. This morning we shall once again continue our spiritual excursion of Luke chapter 15, verses 20 through 24. And today we shall focus primarily on verses 22 through 24. And our message once again is entitled, I can't believe you did that. I can't believe you did that. In the last few weeks, we've looked at repentance, we've looked at reconciliation, and today we shall look at restoration. God does not hold our sins wrongly against us, nor does He act like forgiveness is a favor to us, even though it is. A few years ago, an angry, distraught, and hostile man slipped into St. Peter's Cathedral in Rome with a hammer and began to smash one of Michelangelo's beautiful sculpture called the Pieta. This cherished work of art was severely damaged. But what did the officials do? Did they throw the sculpture out? Absolutely no. Using the best experts who worked with the utmost care and precision, they made every effort to restore this treasure. And by his sovereign grace, God can bring good out of our failures. God can bring good even out of our sinfulness. Because our Heavenly Father is the Great Restorer. Amen? Amen. Amen. Today's message is going to be one, the Father's restoration of the prodigal. The Bible begins with these words, But the Father said to his slaves, Quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him, And put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Last week we were blessed to discuss the prodigal's beautiful reconciliation with his father. This morning we shall see the wonderful restoration of the prodigal. Many, including the Pharisees and scribes who were audience as Jesus told this parable, were probably thinking for sure the father gave the prodigal too much, too quick. They probably were thinking the father gave the prodigal public recognition public honor like a banquet the father needed to make sure they needed to be slow and he needed to have a wait-and-see approach a tentative approach he should withhold some of his privileges to the prodigal until he first saw some fruits of the prodigal's repentance but that's not how the story is written So some of us would have been right in that camp with the Pharisees and scribes. You being too nice to him too quick. You doing all these wonderful things to him. You reconciled, you restored him. You doing all of these things and we haven't seen any fruit yet. The father's acceptance of his son, the father's restoration of his son was followed only by the prodigal's repentance and his reconciliation. There is no restoration without repentance. Amen, 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 amen. amen. So when we look at this story, don't jump around and get to the restoration before there's repentance because there can't be restoration until there's first repentance and reconciliation. Amen. Amen. Restoration. To receive back more than has been lost to the point where the final state is greater than the original condition. Something or someone is improved beyond measure. Before we can begin to restore our relationship with the Lord Almighty, we need to understand that this relationship is broken or damaged. And why is that the case? The relationship is not broken and damaged because God has done something on his end it is broken and damaged because we done done something on our end and we cannot be back with God until we first recognize what we did to damage or break the relationship. We can't sit and say, I don't know how I got in this condition with you, God. And God says, you know exactly how you got in this condition because you're the one that broke it. Mm. If we will repent of our spiritual failures, not mistakes, But sinfulness, God will restore us and use us again in some capacity in his service. Mm. It does not mean you will be back in the same service. Let me break that down. Pastor Denny, and this is where you guys say, oh, no, real fast. Pastor Denny does something sinful. There you go. And, and now I repent of the sin that I've done. That does not mean that when I'm restored, I'm back restored as a pastor of this church. Maybe, may not, but it's not automatic. But God will still be able to use me in some capacity in his service. It may not be another one with a title, but he can still use me to share the gospel. He can still use me to give my testimony. He can still use me to do whatever he wants to do. So don't ever think it means restoration, means I'm restored back to the same position, because the definition I said was, you are put back in a position greater than what you were before. Well, how can I be restored to a, a position greater than I was before, let me tell you, when I sin and I repent and he restores me, how am I now in a better condition? I'm in a better condition because now I understand his forgiveness better than I did before. I understand his mercy better than I did before. I understand his grace better than I did before. God is so good, he allows me to go off into the distant country, but he says, when I bring you back, when you repent, when I restore you, you are gonna know me better than you did before. Mm. So what are those paths of restoration? Remembrance of God's word, conviction of our sins, godly sorrow over sin, appropriate Christ's sacrifice for our sins, and appreciation of God's abundant grace. Well, we kind of understand God's word. The only way I'm going to repent is I got to come back to understanding what God's word says. He done told me what to do, and I did the opposite. Now I'm convicted of that because I'm looking at the word, I'm looking at my life, I'm looking at the word, looking at my behavior, and they don't match up. So now I'm convicted, and now I don't just have sorrow because I got caught. I don't have just sorrow because I didn't get something I want. but now I got godly sorrow that's moving me towards repentance. Now once I repent, the way I repent is I acknowledge what I did was wrong, and I am thankful that God's son died for my sins so that my sins will not keep me separate from God. And I appreciate the abundant grace of God because I know even though I've been reconciled, even though I've been restored, it's not because I deserved it, but it's because of his grace. So all of those are part of that restoration process that each and every one of us must go through. I can't jump from one to three to five. God says, no, you got to follow all of them. The prodigal father sent his servants on a series of urgent errands. In the Greek text, the father preceded his orders with the adverb "tachu," which means quickly. He wanted no delay. He wanted to publicly restore his son as quick and as soon as possible. It was a matter of the utmost urgency to the father that everyone knew that his son had been restored. I want everybody to know, you don't have to guess. You're going to know I've restored him because he's repented and he's been reconciled. The servants quickly understood a banquet was being set. When they start hearing him talk about a roll, when he start talking about a ring, when he start talking about uh, um, sandals, when he start talking about a fatty calf, these servants aren't any dummies. They say, wait a minute. This sounds like this father's about to have a banquet for this product. The Pharisees would also hear this, and they would be shaking their heads. Why in the world would the Father lavish such extravagance on this product? Some of us would have been sitting there saying, like we're going to see you next week, perhaps. We'd have been like that older, sir. Wait a minute. This is the one that dissed you. This is the one that disrespected you. This is the one that left. This is the one where I had to probably pick up his work because he's out there in the distant country, and now you're going to throw a banquet for him? We see this fleshliness in us when you hear the prayer about the workers. When they were contracted for a certain amount, somebody else came later. Wait a minute. Why are he getting the same amount as us? I've been out here all day. Did you not contract for that amount? What is it your business how much I pay this other person? So we all up in the scripture. We just keep seeing, when you read the scripture, you'll be saying, ouch, ouch, me, me, me. I keep seeing myself over and over. The father was oblivious and didn't care about what the people were going to say. And please don't miss this. The father was showering the prodigal son, not with the glory of the son, but with the glory of the father. I said in a Sunday school class, when you read these verses, verses 20 and 24 has the main attraction, the main character, the star of verses 20 and 24 is not the son, it's the father. You start reading this parable, it's broken down, it's telling you who the emphasis should be on. So when I read these verses, my emphasis is not on the older son because he ain't even mentioned. There's a little bit the younger son, the focus is on the father. And it's his glory that is being showered on this sun. Because the sun ain't got no glory of his own. Don't forget that later on. So items of restoration. The first one was the robe. Gift of honor, purity. Every nobleman had a choice robe. An expensive, ornate, embroidered, one-of-a-kind, floor-length, outer garment of the highest quality and value. It was a garment so special that a father would normally only wear it to special events like his own children's wedding. So it was something that you, almost like we used to be. Nowadays, I don't think we got it as much. It used to be like when you said you had the good china. You know, when somebody, quote, important came, you pulled that out. Any other time, you eating off stuff that's paper plates or cracked or chipped, and this one's blue, this one's red, this one's green. But when somebody <laughs> important came. You say, we, we didn't know you had that, mommy. Where'd you have that hit up? That's for a special occasion. Well, this robe that he's about to give to his son is such a world. In the Greek, it was a first ranking garment. To place this garment on an unclean, prodigal, disrespectful child would make the crowd go mad, especially the Pharisees and scribes. We know what that garment represents. And you stuck that garment on that? So, so God wants to call me. What does that mean? <laughs> when a sinner comes home, they also receive a robe from the heavenly Father. Amen, 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 amen. So, let's look at some scriptures that might get you to do a little bit more than blame. So, Isaiah 61.10 I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exalt in my God, for he has clothed me with the garment of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness. Oh, man. Did did you hear that? Everybody who's a child of God, mm, he says, I have clothed you in right robes that's that sign of purity and then he says I like that part that he didn't just end it there but then he talks about I have wrapped you with a robe of righteousness mm. but New Testament writers said well we got something to say too so in Revelation 7 9 after these things talking about more than likely the tribulation I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all the tribes and people and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands and they cried out with a loud voice saying salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So God says, it ain't going to be what you want to say. I'm going to even tell you what you're going to say. He says, I'm going to clothe you and give you the words to say, you're going to be talking about my salvation, how great and awesome a God that I am, and you're going to recognize my son, the Lamb of God, who made it possible for you to be amongst all these saints. But Philippians 3.9 says, and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, But that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. He says, once again, your righteousness is not based on you. It's not based on your good works. It's not based on your good intentions. It's not based on you living the Ten Commandments. Paul says, I understand where the righteousness comes from. It comes from above. Mm. So how many of you already knew you got a robe? You ain't got to be in the choir. You ain't got to be in the pulpit preaching. You got a robe. And God says, you got the robe because you my child, not because of how good you are. So get that out of your head. When we said, how could he put a robe on a smelly mess? He put a robe on you. Guess what? The day you accepted Christ and the day that you accepted Christ, you were stained with all your sin. He had to cover you up. Now you might sit there and say, I was in church all my life, and I'm like, I want to hear it. You stunk. And he says, here's my robe. I'm putting it on you. I'm going to wrap my arms around you. Because you're mine. Mmm. Mmm. When we are clothed in the righteousness of the Lord. All the pain and the stain of our past is forever washed away from us. When we come home, God's forgiveness, God's restoration covers the stains of our sins. And in our appearance, we begin to look like our God, the Father, more and more. I went back to Roth a couple of weeks ago and had to attend a funeral of a a friend of the family. And when I was there, I had several people come up to me, and they were saying, man, you're starting to look more and more like your father every day. So you know me being the bad person I am. I sent Angela a text, and I said, Angela, I must be looking old, because all these people keep saying I look like my father. (laughs) But there are certain clothes that your father or your mother had. That sometimes when you were little, you might did dress up and you put it on and you start talking like them and walking like them. Well, God is saying, the robe that I have for you, when I put it on you, you start looking like me. Mm. when I put it it on you one day you're going to be acting like me all the time. You ain't going to be worried about your personality. You ain't going to be worried about what you think because now you're going to be saying I look like my father I think like my father. I act like my father. I want what my father wants. It ain't nothing to do about what I want. It's about what he wants because I'm my father's child. The second one was the ring. The gift of authority and privileges. This was a signet ring that had the family crest or seal. So when the ring was pressed into the melted wax on a formal document, the resulting seal served as a legal um, authentication. So if you had this ring, you put it in the wax, you put it on something, that said that you had certain rights. The ring was a symbol of authority. One with the ring had access to all that belonged to the father. Now, we go on a little foreshadowing but next week, how do you think the older brother going to respond when the younger son, the prodigal, now got the ring? Daddy didn't have two rings again. So sometimes when we jump on that old one and say, why wasn't he rejoicing? Many of us would have been just like that older one. I mean, we ain't going to get too many amens. I sure shouldn't talk about next week because you won't show up. The ring provided the person with the ring to speak for the father. So any business dealings, if they said, who's gonna talk on behalf of the Denny family? They look for the one who had the ring. Because the one who had the ring had the authority. Well, it's all the meaning of that to us. That was way back then. What does that have to do with us today? When we come to the Father, he opens the storehouse of his grace, his mercy, his love, his blessings, and he gives us everything we need to glorify him. We have the authority mm, to speak on his behalf. Mm. The angels don't have the authority to share the gospel message. That has been given only to the children of God. That's why we saw last week we are named ambassadors. That means we have the authority to speak on the Father's behalf. Mm. We must remember this is a picture of God's lavish grace which triumphs over every imaginable kind of sin. Paul put it this way in Romans 5.20. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. God is saying, no matter how low you get, my grace is powerful enough to restore you to being used again. Mm. Go back to Old Testament. Go back to shouting words. Can these dry bones live? They ain't living because they're dry bones. They're dry bones because God says, I can even use them. When Israel has gone astray, I'm not done with them yet. I'm going to use them again for service. And that's going to be because of my grace, not because they became all holy. Because of my grace, I use you. Nobody in the church can do something so bad that God says, I can never use you again. Amen. Now, for some of us, that should be good news. Some of us foolishly think (laughs) I'm qualified for this position. I'm smart enough for this position. Got enough training for this position. Paul says I ain't that stupid. I know whatever I do in the service of God is because of his grace. So if you got somebody in our church, you got somebody in your family and done something, they were that black sheep that we talked about last week. If they repent, God is ready to restore them. We might not be ready to restore them But he, and he said, I'm not only going to restore them, I'm going to use them in a marvelous way. The last piece of items of restoration was the sandals, the gift of sonship, his position. Although the sandals may sound like the least of the gifts, however, they were highly significant. Hired servants and household slaves customarily went barefoot. Only masters and their sons wore footwear. So one of the ways you could kind of tell who a person was, one of the ways, was what did they have on their feet? If they had shoes on their feet, more than likely that meant they were a master or a child of somebody with money. If you didn't have any on, we knew where you was at. Although the sandals may sound like they weren't important, they were very important, the sandals made an unmistakable symbolic statement about the father's acceptance of his son. The father is determined... To recognize his position as a son, the father alone determines the position and worth of his child. So the father determines who you are. He determines what your value is. He determines what your role in service is. So when you start saying, I want to do this, God says, I could care less what you want to do. You are in my service, and you want to do what I want you to do. Mm. So now when these servants say, wait a minute, he ain't walking around like us. He got shoes on his feet. Even though he was, had his little speech down pack, I'm going to come back and be a servant. I'm going to be a high servant for my father. He said, now this kid got shoes back on his feet. We know who he is. The father is letting everybody know he's mine and he's my son and I determine his value. See, even in the Old Testament and somewhat in the New Testament, that father role was more than just being a provider financially. The church has just tore this role of the father apart. God's never had that intention. He had a certain role for that father, and that father's role was just like this prodigal father, just like him. I determined. More than likely, if you look back in the Old Testament, when children were named, you know who they were named by? Not by grandma, not by mommy. The father. We got to the enlightenment. Well, it don't make a difference. Who does it? We got Christian weddings now. I haven't been any of them. don't want to be any of them. You got the part where it says, who gives this, this lady, this wife, this woman away? And you hear a high-pitched voice. No, that's low. <laughs> it's a female giving the child away. And, and the Christians are saying, isn't that lovely? My best man wasn't the best man, it was the best woman. Wasn't that lovely? I'm simply saying there was a reason why there was a Christian wedding. There was a reason why the father gave the, the daughter away. It was a reason why he took his hands off of his daughter and put them on the husband's hand because he was transferring authority. Mother didn't have no authority over the child like the father does. I don't care how great she is. She don't have the same authority over the child as the father does. That's not in scripture. It was a reason why God had it in there. It was a reason why it's to understand the importance of that father. Someone said, don't let the devil or the flesh keep you down by telling you that you are not worthy to be a child of God. Have you ever heard voices, sometimes in your head, sometimes not in your head? It's people whispering behind your back. You call yourself a Christian? you call yourself a Christian if you were really a Christian you wouldn't do anything like that now you need to understand you remember when Jesus and Peter was having a conversation and Jesus told Peter I believe Satan get behind me because that's never of God to say those words out of your mouth never Because he's the one that determines, are you a child of God or not? Not me. He does. Amen, amen, amen. Amen. So the shoes were an important gesture that signified the prodigal's restoration. No matter how far we go into sin, we never, never, never stop being a son or daughter of God. Don't ever forget that. Now don't leave from here into the passage and say, you can just be as sinful as you want. I ain't said that. So don't put words in my mouth. That's one of the reasons why I'm glad we got an audio tape ministry, so I can play it back and say, I ain't said that. <laughs> but because you don't like that part, don't start coming up with new scripture. Because as I said before, he determines who's a child of God, not me. He's the one that gives us our value, not me. And also I have to understand, no matter how much I sin, if I have truly accepted the Lord, I never stop being his child. Never. And when we do mess up and when we do sin and we do get long, that's when the devil and the devil's workers are going to come and start whispering that garbage. And the person is already low. Do you think they need to hear now? But he said, I don't know how else to say it. Then don't say nothing. I like what like. this one person said. We may not look like it. We may not live like it. But if we are saved, we are always our Heavenly Father's child. Because if all of us are honest, there have been some moment in your Christian walk where you didn't look like him and you didn't sound like them. And what if somebody just happened to come into your life at that moment and they told you, you ain't a child of God, because a child of God wouldn't act that way. Just think back in your own little life, all where that journey been. If I was a bad man, I'd be ready to put some money down. There's been some time where you didn't act, look, and talk like a believer. No amens, quiet, so I'll say the amen, amen, amen. Text, and bring the fatted calf, kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found, and they began to celebrate. The Greek expression translated fatted literally means grain fed. That calf would provide the choices, Be given the choices grain, it would be of the highest quality. Having a fatted calf on hand demonstrates how wealthy this family is. So, they just see this event come. Now, some people say they could have been waiting for it. They could have been anticipating it. I don't know. The scripture doesn't tell me. But the father says, now let's go cook them. And they've already got this calf. So, that means they got some money. Because if you know it was like some of us and they got like two quarters of going check by check. We ain't got no prize thing waiting just in case we can eat it. We eating everything. We done got to the point where we eating butter. We eating bread. We eating anything that can move. See, some of you act like you ain't never been there. When you got a sandwich and all you got bread and ketchup, you put ketchup on there and spread it, and there's your sandwich. See, some of you still a little high, too high, and you ain't got low yet. But where's the meat? The meat is the ketchup. (laughs) (laughs) oh boy the father calf was kept for special occasions the father's way of sharing joy with all the people around no longer would this son have to wish for swine food now he was restored to the father's table and could eat to his heart content. The finest of food. You remember back when he was sitting there saying, I'm hoping I can eat what the pigs are eating. Now that he's repented, now that he's been reconciled, now that he's been restored, he can now eat from the father's table. Mm. There is no reason for any child of God to feed in the pig troughs of the world. We eat from the world's pig trough because we choose to. He said, what did I say at the beginning? Bread of heaven, bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more. God is saying, at my table, there is always food to eat. And I got the best of the best. But you can't come to the table if you haven't repented and you haven't been restored. Now you got to eat from the world's table. And if you eat from it long enough, you start saying, man, this don't taste as good as what I had when I was with my father. Mm. The father is waiting and his table is spread with plenty, For all who will come and join him at the banquet table. So now let's look at what was the reason for the celebration. Now I told you at the beginning, verses 20 and 24, the focus is on who? So now when we look at this celebration, have that in your mind. Reason for the celebration. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. The celebration is for the father's sake, not so much the son. The celebration is honor of the father's goodness to his undeserving son. When the angels rejoice, we got to get it off of us that they're rejoicing because one sinner has been saved the ultimate rejoicing is look at how good and awesome God is that he done brought another one into the family. The praise and the worship is not in the center, it's to the God, the Father. It's another example of God showing us love. It's another example of him showing kindness, gentleness. It's all these things that we can rejoice and celebrate because look at how good the Father is. We're glad that the son came back home, but that's not where my true joy is. True joy is in the father who is so awesome that he can love a miserable wreck like me. He is so awesome that he will restore me, not necessarily to the same position, but he will restore me that I can be of use, not to myself, but use to him. See, we got some believers, they worried about re- being restored to the same position. That ain't got nothing to do with bringing glory to God. That's bringing glory to them. Somebody tell you, well, you're going to be restored, but you're going to have to start at the bottom. Oh, I ain't going to start at no bottom. <laughs> I was reading something was an elder at some church, and he had done something. He got caught in some kind of sin, and part of his repentance, part of his reconciliation, part of his restoration was... Can't come back on the elder board yet, but we got a position as a janitor. Some of us be saying, I ain't doing that. But we said before, in order for you to repent, you got to be broken. So when you start saying what you will and won't do, that's a sign of your brokenness. I'm broken to a certain extent. (laughs) <laughs> and me and being Custodian ain't one of them the father was rejoicing because now the long awaited opportunity to forgive and restore the son who had so badly dishonored him all the grief that had been brought to him had come to an end because the son had come back repentant you remember when we said last week he was waiting for the son to come back because he knew when the son came back he wasn't coming back as an unrepented son. He was coming back as a repentant son. And just like with our Heavenly Father, he's waiting for us to come back, not coming back still unbroken, still unrepented. He's waiting with great anticipation for that day when his son or daughter will come back to him broken, saying, here I am, God, broken before you, ready to do whatever you need me to do. Use me in any way you want to use me. Because it's not about me, it's about you. Mm. The The feast, in effect, honors the Father. It was this Father who gave this boy back his life and privileges. It was the Father who forgave him, reconciled him, restored him. And praises go up to the one who made it possible. One person put it this way, restoration It's not a matter of our doing our best for him, but of Christ being his best in us. More than likely, if any, of us can actually honestly say, Christ is doing the best he can in me. Because most of us, our focus is on what we do. So I'm going to try to earn his love. I'm going to try to earn his approval. And God said, don't you understand? What I want to do is to be able to live through you. But he can't live through some of us because we got other people in those positions. We're living for spouses, we're living for kids, we're living for a job, we're living for this. And God is saying, you ain't supposed to be living for any of them. You're supposed to be allowing me to live through you. Hmm. And the Bible says, and they began to celebrate. They began to be merry, picture of a party that never ends. That's what heaven's joy is all about the eternal celebration of the extravagant grace of a loving father to penitent, repentant believers. And when an unbeliever repents of their denial of Jesus Christ, God is able once again to receive the glory that he was able to reconcile that person to himself. And when one of us goes astray, it's an opportunity for God once again to show his grace and mercy to us. If you were listening to the song by the Winers, and it was called Restoration, and it was talking about the mercy and the love, I would not know the mercy, I would not know the grace to the level that I understand it now if I hadn't gone astray. And God's wisdom is so great. He's not saying he wants us to go astray. But in his infinite wisdom, he knows how to even bless us when we do go astray. Because he says, you now know me at a different level. When you're shown grace and mercy, it's not just for you. It's God's way of demonstrating who he is. I am the loving father. I am the father of the prodigals. And I'm waiting for you to come back to me. And when you come back to me, the way I tell you to come back to me, I'm ready to lavish more and more of my grace and mercy on you. Because that's who I am, the great I am, the Father of all fathers. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for another journey through your word. And we thank you, Lord, for how such a seemingly simple parable has so many truths about who you are. How you once again show us ourselves, sometimes not in the best ways but ultimately in the best way because we really can't draw near you and we really can't abide in you unless we really see who we are. So Lord, I thank you, Lord, for taking the time to to show us once again who we are. I thank you, Lord, for once again taking the time to show us who you are. I thank you, Lord, for providing us the chance to confess and to repent and to be reconciled and to be restored. And all of that is done by you because of your love and your grace and your mercy that you show towards us. I don't know who's here today, but more than likely you were speaking to someone directly today. I pray that that person or persons did not close their ears. I pray that they did not harden their hearts, but I pray that your word fell on good soil so that it can flourish in their lives. And then it can flourish in the lives of others that they share the truths that they have learned. So Lord, we thank you, we praise you, we love you. And we say all these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, amen.